1: Welcome to the New Books
2: Network. Um, welcome to the New Books Network in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Gihuly. I am a public school teacher based on Gadigal land in so-called Sydney, Australia. I'm your host today, and today we'll be speaking to Jodie about her book, Facilitating Youth-Led Book Clubs as Transformative uh, and Inclusive Spaces, published by Teachers College Press in 2022. Welcome, Jodie. Thank you. Uh, now, before we get into the substance of the book, I'm wondering if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to this project.
0: Uh, Great. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, Yeah, I'll just provide just a a brief background because I think that will explain sort of why there has been such an intersection between literacies and culturally affirming social-emotional learning. Um, I I began my work um, with adolescents actually um, in Washington, D.C. I was an outreach counselor for displaced youth, um, young people who uh, Because they didn't have uh, options, um, uh, families uh, that were supportive, often coming from abusive environments, um, had become sex workers um, on the streets of D.C. And so our role um, with my organization was really to um, provide support for young people who are in very um, dangerous um, uh, living conditions and lifestyles. And so we would offer them sort of basic necessities, condoms, coffee, cocoa when it was cold, um, clothes if they needed it. And then we would go into um, uh, the police uh, precincts and offer counseling. Um, you know, we did a lot of um, education around HIV, um, other sexually transmitted diseases, um, but also use that sort of as a gateway to have conversations about uh, how we could provide um Safer environments for these young people, and so I started that work, um, really doing intervention work um, uh, very early on in my career, and um, I ended up leaving leaving that and to go into more prevention. And so I decided I wanted to work more within the educational setting, so that we could target young people who were at risk or who were not in safe spaces and use the classroom communities to provide spaces um, for young people that were empowering, um, that that saw them, um, that connected to them. And so uh, I worked then in a, uh, at the time it was called a dropout prevention program. So it was for young people who were not reading at grade level according to a various standardized test. It was uh, intensive reading courses. And that began my teaching career. Um, I didn't have any degree in in education at the time. I came, you know, uh, I came with a degree in English uh, and women's studies and just knew that I was um, very passionate about connecting with young people, learning from them and helping them to see Uh, if they hadn't already, um, different sort sort of outlets for um, social, emotional growth, um, but also to help them develop their literacies um, as well. So, so, you know, after working in this um, program for several years, I then moved to New York um, where I uh, worked in a, a very small school. I came in at the end of the very first year. And um, decided at that time that I wanted to learn more about these intersections between literacy and um, social and emotional um, growth. And just for me personally, you know, um, reading had been, um, you know, a space for me to heal. Um, Reading had been a space for me to learn uh, and reading had been a space for escape and reading had been a space for joy, and so within sort of classroom constraints, you know, you can do a lot of that work. But I really wanted to take a look at, um, you know, out of out of out of classroom um, settings and look at sort of alternative spaces. And so that's where um, I began my PhD program and began doing a series of uh, book clubs at this um, small school um, in New York City. And that began the the work of the book. Um, I was really um, uh, fortunate enough uh, to work with um, Dr. Joan Kaywell before I moved to New York, who was also doing work around bibliotherapy. And so that really spawned my idea for my dissertation as we worked in a center for displaced youth, And um, we worked with, you know, young, young women who lived in these spaces who did not have um, safe home environments. And so they lived in um, this safe house and we worked in conjunction with social workers. And so um, as an ELA teacher, um, teachers, you know, uh, Joan and I worked in conjunction with um, social workers, and together we did book clubs that centered around um, some of the youth um, struggles, and we use both the books and the conversations to help them um, work through some trauma. And I learned a lot from the social workers. I learned a lot from the young women who were in this group, and so then I replicated that work um, when I was in New York, and that's where the research began. But honestly, the <laughs> it was the, you know, I'm a, I'm a researcher by default. <laughs> I, I prefer, you know, I'm much more a teacher. Um, uh, I, you know, uh, and, and, you know, youth, youth specialists, than I would say a researcher, the researcher sort of came along with the job of getting a, a doctorate. Um, and since then I've been using these spaces in and out of the classroom with a variety of, um, um, diverse students in diverse settings to really see about um, impact with um, different um, populations.
2: Thanks so much for that. What a what a journey. Um, I, I think um, many teachers can probably, um, or hopefully, uh, you know, the way that we think about action research is that we're always, you know, being, I think there's a line in your book that says that we must be towards the end that says that we must be scholars of our students. So hopefully we're always um, picking up on data and information when we're in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Um, So the book has seven chapters and an epilogue. So today we're just going to go through in a bit of a linear fashion, um, have a look at each of the chapters and briefly touch on some of the core focuses. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to highlight that there is an accompanying website that you reference throughout the book. Um, so just for the audience to, if you do refer to that in any of your answers, um, that we will make sure that we have um, a link to the website called Educate uh, Educate for Action, which is a library of resources for teachers and other facilitators to use in accompaniment with the book. So we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes. Um, So that's just an FYI. So in Chapter 1, Transformation and Inclusivity, the Foundation for Student-Centered Book Clubs, what I think is really important is for our audience to know what book clubs are, what the benefits can be for facilitating youth-led book clubs, and what theories you ground your facilitation in.
0: Great. So, uh, I mean, I, you know, stand on the shoulders of many great scholars and a variety of incredible, um, theorists, scholars, and practitioners. So, um, it's really a a multi-prong, um, foundation. Um, you know, the first, uh, definitely it's grounded in culturally sustaining pedagogies, um, which really looks at sustaining students, um, Strengths sustaining their languages, their literacies, their cultures, their neurodiversities. Um, really, you know, um, this coming from a strength-based um, pedagogy. So, culturally sustaining pedagogies is certainly the, I would say, the the biggest grounding um, for this work. Is as you were saying, being a scholar of our students and understanding who they are and using those strengths in order to develop. Um, experiences that really meet their needs. Um, This work is also grounded in um, very similar to that culturally affirming social emotional learning, you know, which I talk about a lot in chapter five, really, you know, work of Dina Simmons, work of Sean Jenright that really looks about how culturally sustaining pedagogies connect with social emotional learning. um, So that we're Thinking about um, how we're attending to students in a more holistic way, not just academically, but, you know, seeing them as human beings and really thinking about humanizing experiences um, that really, uh, again, look at what students' diversities are and creating experiences that meet those needs. Uh, within that is bibliotherapy, uh, which is another um You know, uh, practice and body of research that's done by librarians, teachers, administrators, um, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, which is really just the use of books to heal, the use of books to connect, the use of books to escape. And so um, bibliotherapy has been done all over the place, classrooms, um, psychiatric settings, um, hospitals, libraries. And so there can be real power in putting the the right book into the hands of a young person. Uh, I think some other things that I do talk about in the book, particularly in that that chapter, is um You know, once we have the book is attending to reader response theories, you know, originally uh, Louise Rosenblatt, who talks about there not being one single interpretation of a text, um, which I think traditionally ELA teachers, you know, English language arts teachers... Uh, reading teachers, literacy teachers, you know, sometimes come and say, there's this one definition, what's that one symbol, that one meaning? And Rosenblatt and reader response theorists say, no, there's there's not that, you know, there are multiple meanings that can come from a text, and that those meanings are created through the reader um, meeting with the text. And also impacted by that is the context of the setting, right? So the way a student experiences a text will be very different if they're sitting in a a cold classroom in a row as opposed to sitting in a circle in a warm, fuzzy classroom with pizza in front of them, right? So that context is also going to impact um, who they are. Uh, And I would say the final one, um, which is really, again, part of culturally sustaining pedagogies is that of um, critical literacies or critical pedagogies uh, which is really, um, again, you know, really building on culturally relevant and culturally responsive instruction. You know, um, critical pedagogies uh, really say that, you know, if we and and this too comes up in culturally affirming and healing centered SEL is that we have to attend to students' critical consciousness as well. So um, and really thinking about how to. Um, work side by side with students in developing their sense of agency and seeing themselves as um, agents of change if they don't already, because many of them already do. Um, so the idea is to have them look at the power inequities that are occurring uh, within the books within our communities, within our world, looking at those power structures, why are those inequities occurring? What are the systems that are keeping them in place? And then what can we do individually and collectively um, to enact change, to resist and dismantle um, those systemic inequities? So, you know, book clubs come with a, a range of foundations that if we are really thoughtful, and intentional about using all of them, uh, my argument is that these spaces can be really transformative.
2: Yeah, fantastic. And you have you've led um, really, really, really well into my next question. Um, and this kind of comes across the chapters, actually, um, in, in many ways. But um, we have a kind of culture of the infantilization of adolescents and their capacity to confront and process and engage with difficult concepts. So can you talk a little bit about how facilitators can reconfigure their worry that, that young people that they might be working with are too young to engage with difficult topics um, that come up in the literature? I mean, this really does come up across in you know, throughout sections of the book. But, um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things um, that I could speak to. I mean, one, I would just really recommend, um, you know, that folks take a look at some of the research out there that's referenced in my book and on the website around the construct of adolescence. While well, adolescence itself is a construct and so it is something that has been created within Western ideologies that does exactly that, that sets up low expectations, stereotypes for young people um, who are um, very much capable of engaging in um, these conversations. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, I just today I was reading my students' journals and um, I teach a high school class. And uh, it's an expository writing course that Centers on social justice, and we watch a video by Gloria Latson billings about critical race theory. And you know, she talks about like how critical race theory, you know, is meant for graduate students, and it was not meant to be in like K through twelve or even undergraduate settings. And um, and my students pushed back that on that a bit and said, "We are, you know, they're high school, so they're you know sixteen to eighteen. Like we're ready for these conversations." um and you know i just i tell teachers like maybe you're not going to uh bring up queer theory in your classroom those words queer theory you're not going to be reading queer theory with sixth graders but you can talk about gender norms um uh maybe you're not going to read critical race theory cuz that's some really dense reading but you can talk about systems of oppression Um, based on race and ethnicity. So young people are very aware of inequities at a very young age. You know, as as young as three, there is research out there that students start, young people start picking up um, differences around race and gender, as an example, at a very young age. So um, let's meet them where they are. They're seeing this on TikTok. They're seeing it on Netflix and um, they're aware, and the best thing that we can do is um, have conversations with them, and and have discussions, and 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 respect them for for the amazing talents and intellect, uh, and 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 observations and experiences that they have, so that they can then have more informed conversations um, with other adults and families. So. Um, I would say, you know, one, just deconstruct this notion of adolescence. It is a construct. And two, you know, the language and the readings may be different, but the content and the foundations of those do not have to be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Particularly because many of these things, as you said, they're coming across so many things. Um, Now they have the world um, at their hands. Um, Sometimes in Australian classrooms, they have their phones pretty much always on them anyway. So, um, you know, being able to uh, give them frameworks in which to critically think about the things that they're coming across anyway. Um, So a crucial question that comes up in chapter two um, is that you pose to us about, the importance of identifying purpose and I particularly liked your suggestion for social science teachers which I am um, of using book clubs to deepen knowledge and understanding of content Um, and I think this is really important to touch on because across the book you really are giving us lots of different ways to think about how book clubs can be used and I can't underscore enough how useful this book is. I know that many uh, teachers, um, myself included, pick up theory-dense books and are really trying to do a lot of emotional labour to figure out how we're actually going to use them in our classrooms. So, I just want to thank you for making it so incredibly accessible. There's so many resources in here. Um, It's just such a fantastic book for educators, um, whilst also being so theoretically dense as well. So, Um, Do you want to talk to us a little bit about about the importance of asking yourself, what is the purpose?
0: Uh, Great. Thank you for that. Um, I am grateful for that, um, um, for sure. Uh, I mean, purpose is key. I think that, you know, sometimes as educators, we can be very overwhelmed with like standardized tests, with mandated curriculum And I think, especially if we've been teaching for a while, um, we sort of just perhaps roll with punches, right? Like, I need to do this, and I'm just going to keep doing it and keep recycling the same curriculum I've been doing and mandated to do. And I think it's really important to us to always think about purpose. So why are we doing book clubs? Um, You know, who are our students? Um, What are they interested in? How does that intersect with the content that I need to teach? So I think, you know, when you're um, as a, you know, you were saying social science teachers or social studies or history teachers, there are so many wonderful memoirs out there. There There's so many wonderful nonfiction texts out there. Um, There's, you know, I, I know sometimes that history teachers can shy away from historical fiction, but collaborating with your, your, English language arts and literacy teacher to have them perhaps do historical fiction um, so that you're reinforcing that content. So you're having multiple purposes. You know, you're learning the content um, and you're building literacy skills and you're doing social emotional development. You know, teachers often say like, ah, SEL is like a whole new thing I have to add to all this other stuff that I'm doing. And I'm always like, no, it's the same. You know, just change the line of questioning that you're doing. So, you know, we can read a memoir, say, about the Holocaust and a book club in order to more deeply understand what the Holocaust is, but we can also build our skills and empathy to take on, um, you know, to, to understand, um, a perspective of a person who lived during that time period while also building, you know, that content knowledge simultaneously. Again, we're working on that social emotional stuff. We're working on empathy. We're working on, um, perspective-taking, and we're working on social skills. So young people are sitting in a circle. They are having conversations. They're connecting experiences from the past to the experiences that are, are happening currently. So that purpose is really critical. Uh, you know, if you decide to do book clubs, just really sitting down. And there's a template um, in the book and on the website that I recommend, you um, Teachers uh, or whomever you know is working in a school, like really following that and and being really intentional about, you know, what are my who are my students, what are my constraints based on the content and context of my school, and how can I keep those two things in mind while developing a real student centered um, experience that looks at content, SEL, and literacies simultaneously
2: yeah and there's so um there's so much that comes across in the book um in regards to what you're talking about i've got a question um that sort of touches on that will follow on from what you've just been saying as well as how we kind of address the curriculum and the hidden curriculum as well um So I'd really love to come back to that a little bit. But before I do that, just touching on um, something that really came across in Chapter 3, which you've also just touched on, which is collaboration. So throughout the book, you highlight instances in which you've lent on collaboration, Um, particularly towards the end of the book, you talk about um, building community partnerships, which I'll ask you about um, in a few minutes. But firstly, can you talk to us about how to approach collaboration with starting a book club, and why collaboration, particularly perhaps with, um, I think you really talk about other staff members or, um, you know, other other workers within schools or school communities, and why collaboration is an important consideration.
0: Yeah, um, just in, uh, I think. You know, the best thing that I ever did, and I think I, t- I mentioned this in, in my in my book, but is to just shadow the school counselor at my previous high school, Danilo. He is an incredible uh, resource for young people. And seeing him talk to students and to families um, was really life-changing for me as a teacher. Um I watching him in his space, um, doing that social emotional work as a teacher uh, was really important because I learned how to listen to young people. I learned how to respond to young people. I I learned how to integrate families into those conversations, and so he made me a better teacher. Um, And I would not have had that perspective without watching and listening him do his magic. And so I would really recommend, I mean, I know, you know, we're so busy. Teachers are so, everybody in the school is so busy. But even just taking the time once a week to observe, if you can, a school counselor social worker is really important. Um, I think also... um, Making connections, if you have a family um, coordinator at your school, um, and and listening and learning and figuring out what are the best ways to engage families and the process is really important. Um, I think, you know, if you're not an administrator, talking to your administrators about what your vision is for this work and thinking about whole school changes, you know, book clubs don't have to just be... You know and crammed up rooms after school or during lunch or in classrooms like you know i've seen some wonderful principals in new york city um one at east side community um high or school um, where the principal has a full library in his of young adult books in his office and he runs his own book club so you know when you have and you see the leaders in your school communities doing this work it's really trickles down and impacts both students and all of the staff at the school um i also think that if possible working with you know if you're a general education teacher working with your special education teachers with your speech pathologists um you know, for your, um, you know, your, your ESL teachers, which we have here in the States is um, who work are, are people who work with students who are emergent um, multilingual learners, but, you know, having them in the classroom so that you can do book clubs in coordination. So having more than one person in the room, if you're co-teaching, is a really great way to set up for success. Um, especially if you're just doing book clubs like once a week on Friday, you know, inviting, you know, people into your classroom um, so that you can build those partnerships. And as I was saying before, even different content area teachers. So again, if your history teacher is teaching you know things around the civil rights movement. Then, as an ELA teacher, English teacher, or reading teacher, you can be reading and having book clubs around civil, around the civil rights movement, so that you're collaborating with content and really um, deepening um, students' knowledge. I think that we often teach a lot <laughs> at a very surface level and. I think it's uh, more impactful to teach less at a much deeper level. Um, that's when you're going to see um, longevity of ideas um, and skills um, as opposed to sort of like just surface level with everything.
1: Slash NBN fifty to get fifty percent off.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think that idea around you know cross curriculum, um, you know, and working with other teachers is really is something that has come up in a lot of schools that I've worked at, and um, thinking about how we can do that and and create uh, links between uh, subject areas. Um, and I think it really highlights, you know, what you just talked about is how many rich examples are in the book and again I just sort of really urge um particularly educators to pick up this book because there are just so many examples of how you can use this you know book clubs in your school communities um you know and 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 just really I felt my mind like I've just got so many ideas about how I'm going to use this next year um so I'm you know, even just learning about bibliotherapy, I was like, how do I not know that this is a thing? Like, you know, um, so just, uh, yeah, thank you so much for introducing us to just so many um, rich concepts that we can really use in our classrooms. Um, so in the next chapter, in Chapter 4, you focus on maintaining and sustaining book clubs over time. One of the key components of this chapter for me was exploring how, to structure youth-led book clubs so this chapter again is really practical and it's also really informative around teaching what we've sort of what you've touched on earlier these kind of what we might think of as soft skills or in the school setting might relate to how our pedagogy addresses um, what we refer to here as the hidden curriculum. Um, so in reading about your suggestions of role sheets, it had me thinking a lot about how book clubs are building skills in horizontal organising and participatory democracy, um, things that, you know, young people uh uh, already thinking about in their own kind of settings. So, how can you talk to us a little bit about, particularly about role sheets specifically? I'd like to talk about a specific example that you you talk about, um, and how role allocation and role reallocation, um, like sort of functions, and and yeah, just talk to us a little bit about that. So the
0: so the role sheets are a pretty you know traditional way of doing um like literature circles for instance i you know i read uh literature circles by smoky daniels a million years ago which is what got me into to literature circles or book clubs um you know 20 plus years ago um and i use those roll sheets and so those roll sheets um you know you'd have one student who would be the question maker you'd have one student who would um, Make personal connections. You'd have one student be the visualizer. So, you know, students were, were able to do a deep dive into trying out a particular reading strategy, which is terrific. So, and then each week they would change what their role was um, so that they could practice and try on these different reading strategies. Um, I found, though, that they were very limiting the role sheets. And so, you know, I had a student come up to me and was like, okay, I'm the question maker, but what if I have a personal connection or I'm visualizing something? I'm stuck with this one sheet all week. So I listened to students and, um, and allowed for choice. So I think that, you know, you know, if we were, you know, the title of the book is youth led. So we have to let, youth lead. And so I think starting off with the role sheets is a really great way to start with young people. um, You know, I've done a lot of coaching of for in middle school settings, and I think it works really great with, um, you know, with younger readers who who might really need that structure and like that focus. Um, But not all of your students are going to need or appreciate those role sheets. Um, and the role sheets, again, let's go back to purpose, right? If your purpose is to teach these specific reading strategies, then these role sheets are going to be terrific. I want my students to make personal connections. I want them to evaluate the text. I want them to question the text. So you can create role sheets and there's samples on the on the website of all the different role sheets, sample role sheets that you can use. You can even have criticality roles where a student is reading for issues of inequity or power imbalances, or um, maybe you have a student who is, you know, what I've seen that's been really great is having role, street, role sheets that are around um, critical lenses. So one person is going to read with a feminist lens. Another student's going to read for a critical race lens. Another student might read from a critical disability lens. And so they all come together once a week and talk about what that experience was like reading with these different lenses. Um, so I think that when you, the role sheets are used in that critical way, they can be really powerful for all, you know, for all students, regardless of, of grades, but those traditional role sheets are more grounded around reading strategies. Um, so what I eventually did with my students was just allow choice. So they got choice in reading. Why not allow them choice and how they're responding? So book clubs would decide, um, you know, we would start with role sheets, And then eventually, you know, some students would be like, I hate these, and these aren't working for me. So I created a graphic organizer um, that allowed them to float around those different roles. Um, Some students really liked post-it notes, they liked reading and writing on post-it notes and sticking those in their books. Um, Some students loved journaling, they loved to like read and then write in their journals. So the idea was to allow students choice. So Once we, if I'm a classroom, primary classroom teacher, um, I might start with roll sheets as a beginning, but then allow them to transition to other ways of engaging and responding with the text. Um, bookmarks is another example. A lot of my students love the bookmarks, um, Because, you know, one, it was a bookmark, but two, it was a really easy way for them to jot down what their ideas were and what they wanted to bring to book clubs at the end of the week. So your structures should have just as much choice as the books that you allow students to choose from.
2: Yeah, definitely. I loved the uh, sample bookmark agenda. Um, That was, uh, when I saw that, I was like, Yes, you've already obviously preempted so many potential roadblocks that would come up with kids taking notes and these kinds of things. And um, thanks for sharing those. You know, I I think um, when you did use that example um, in the book about um, one of the young people challenging, you know, the role sheet, um, that's one of my favourite things that happens in the classroom is when a kid comes up and, and challenges anything um in that way particularly because it means they're paying attention right it means they're thinking about it and it just yeah it's I find it extremely exciting when they challenge me like that um so and and how that that then can can really feed back into how you're how you're showing up so um in chapter five um so just going back to something we started talking about earlier so this chapter explores using book clubs to centre students' literacy growth while simultaneously allowing thoughtful and intentional time for emotional and identity-based engagements. Now, this was just such an integral chapter. I mean, all of them are. Um, I think for many of us teachers who are relationships-based teachers, Primarily, um, you know, we've come to work in schools because we love working with young people and consider the content, as I do, as a vehicle for supporting young people's learning and development. Um, so this approach of, of of addressing the requirements of a curriculum and supporting young people's socio-emotional development was. Just it comes across throughout your book, but you talk about it uh, quite explicitly in this chapter. So, can you talk about one of the examples of the reading development um, instructional strategies that you outline? Um, Yeah.
0: So, um, I think that probably for me uh, was sort of the aha moment, and I think is a tool that um, that I teachers might find. Um, the most useful is an example from a book um, that I did in a, in a lit circle or a a book club called written in the stars. And it was just an example. It's like one book that I've read, you know, with one book club. And um, we were working with young people who were new to the U S so they were um, pretty new to English um, new to the culture and um, so we knew that we needed to work on um, their literacy skills. There were very specific strategies that we wanted them to learn so that they could be successful on these mandated tests um, that they had to take. So, you know, there are, there are some of those skills that you think about, like summarize, uh, inf- make inferences, right? Infer. Evaluate. So these are um, reading strategies or skills that they need to learn. Um, but we also wanted to tap into what they were passionate about. And so this just happened to be a group of all young men um, who were um, late uh, adolescents and who um, are all, all Muslim young men. And they really wanted to read about arranged marriages, and so, you know, I always turn to young adult books because they grapple with topics that are are um, important to young people, but they're written at a um, a reading level that can be accessible to youth who who need some development when it ter- comes to reading in English. I'm just speaking about you know. Um, So what we were able to do was to work on those literacy skills while also attending to issues of emotions, um, healing strategies, identity work. Um, And so, you know, there are questions that can that can hit both. And so there's a there's a chart um, on the website that actually gives some examples of how a question can be both about literacy, but about identities as well. So, you know, we could say something like, let's say we want to work on an inferencing skill. So, you know, uh, the main character is very upset with her parents. Why, what, why do you think that is? What can you infer, um, you know, based on the narrative. And so students are working on, you know, finding key details and making inferences from those details. But the question content gets at that emotional literacy part. So why is she feeling this this way? What's caused this? Um, and then we can jump off from there. So we've worked on sort of this inferring, locating details. Um, then you can work on that Personal connection, like you know, what would you do if you were in that same situation? Or um, have you know some of the young men had had sisters, um, cousins who were arranged marriages? So what what has that been like in your own experience? How is it um, the same or different than what we're reading about? So we're we're working on that comprehension. We're working on that higher level skill of inferences, but we're also attending to emotional literacies. Um, and we, you know, we know from from research, um, you know, worldwide that that for young men, um, verbalizing your emotions is not something that is embraced by everyone. And so we wanted to create a safe space where young men could talk about their emotions um, and where they could share their connections. And so that was equally important um, for us to, to really give them that space to do that. And again, it didn't have to be extra. We did that work simultaneously.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you provide so many um so many questions that we can consider and take into uh, our classrooms and, and or to take into any form of uh, book clubs that we might be using. So there's so many jumping off points that you provide us with um, throughout the book, which is really fantastic and generous of you. Um, so Chapter 6, um, I really, uh, I really actually just want to touch on this Uh, A question that comes up actually throughout the book but again um, specifically here so huge but perhaps kind of simple question is how do you actually go about getting teenagers to join a book club I can imagine at the schools that I've worked at you know this constant question as as I'm reading the book like okay um, obviously if we're in classrooms and it's part of you know everything that we're doing then there's not really any question there. But really struggling to get young people to sign up for a non-mandatory book club. Can you just talk us through some of the ways that you could draw young people in?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think it, there's there's so many different... I'll, I'll explain how I've done it over the past. I mean, one thing that I did was I just went and visited every... Uh, English LA, ELA class, so every language arts class. I went into every class. I t- asked the teachers. I was just like, I'm, I'm starting these book clubs. I, I want to connect to, you know, um, to young people, tell them what it is. Um, and so I just was like five minutes in different classrooms, introducing myself, talking about the purpose of book clubs, and then sharing some of the books that we could be reading. And um, and so I think, you know, your initial pool is going to be students who already love to read. Um, but the great thing about young people is that they have friends. And so a lot of times students would join book clubs and then they would bring their friends. And sometimes they did the reading and sometimes they didn't. Right. And so the, perp- the point was just that they were there, that they were participating in the conversations And so sometimes I could walk into a book club and that was initially six people and I'd walk in and there'd be 12 people in the room because everybody has brought a friend. Um, And that, you know, sort of (laughs) viral aspect of book club was tremendous because a lot of times those young people ended up staying, reading the book, um, providing some scaffolds for them, like offering them audio versions of the book. Um, So they didn't have to just read it. They could listen to it while they're riding the subway, Um, having a digital copy so they could read it on their phone so they weren't embarrassed to be reading books on the subway. So I think access is a big part of that is like, um, you know, opening up your doors, um, you know, letting people know. We also, I also flyered, you know, all over the school, including the bathrooms, the cafeteria, where are students hanging out? Um, the other thing I, I think it, that's really important is there are other clubs within schools, right? So if you've got a GSA at your school, a Gay-Straight Straight Alliance at your school, um, and you're already meeting, why not bring in books as one of the activities that you do together? Um, you know, and and having, you know, Uh, You know, there's all sorts of um, different clubs that are already happening and books that can connect to them. So it's not like it's all of a sudden going to be a book club, but that can be one piece of, you know, the kinds of experiences that you offer to young people. And I think, you know, there's a lot of laughter and joy that comes out of book clubs. And when other students are walking by and hearing that, it really does... You know, have them take a turn, lift an eyebrow, um, and you know the constant. Just having an open, really inclusive experience really helps them to do that. And and honestly, you know, it, it started off pretty small, and then it got really big, and I really couldn't do all of them on my own. And that's where we returned to that collaboration. So talk to other teachers, you know, they don't have to do book club all year round, but maybe they can just do it for, you know, one six week period. You know, you've got a, uh, you know, you've got a male teacher who's going to bring together a bunch of young men to... Uh, talk about masculinity through, you know, some particular text that they've, they've selected to read. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a lifelong commitment like I've made, but it can just be a short monthly commitment. Um, and I think the more teachers that are doing it, the more leadership is supporting that, you know, you you're going to see that sort of enthusiasm and culture, really that, that culture shift.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So many questions stemming off everything that you're saying that I'm writing down as I'm going, but I'm mindful of the time. So I want to just make sure that we have a little bit of time to ensure that we give you a chance to talk about um, building authentic collective partnerships with parents, guardians and community members, because I think that so many justice minded educators are thinking about this question of community centred education, what you know that that we want to be working with and be of the community. So, if you want to just touch on that briefly,
0: yeah. I mean, um, the I think one of the best things that has ever happened to me and that happens to me frequently is when students say, I brought a book home and now my cousin's reading it and my mom's reading it. And then we brought it to a party we were having and now my other cousin is reading it. Like that brings me, um, a tremendous amount of joy, um, is to hear that. So, um, you know, one thing is just keeping families, abreast and of what what you're doing so i like to send home um newsletters obviously they are translated so we it's always important to translate those so that um so that families are able to to read that information but just um into different languages so sending home newsletters that explain what book clubs are what books you're reading um and inviting them to read the books as well uh and to to come in if this, you know if students want want that that there, so I think that's one piece of it is bringing, just letting families know. Um, I love being at like, you know, parent-teacher conferences and having you know a family member come in and say, "I'm reading the same book that you're reading right now." Um, the other thing I think as well, if you are a literacy coach at a school or a liter or a leader at your school, is to have family engagement nights and um, you know having you know, having families have their own book club. I've seen this in, you know, PTAs where the PTA, the Parent Teacher Association is, Um, actually engaging in book clubs around what the students are reading, which can be um, really terrific. Um, I think the more we can engage in families, the more success we're going to see in our school communities. And those sorts of authentic connections, um, a book can be a great way to build those. Um, And the more that we invite them, and the more that we keep them aware of what we're doing, um, the the stronger that connection will be for our, our young people as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and you talk about um, in this um, chapter and and, and uh, in I think one other uh, chapter about the use of different mediums and making um, these kinds of conversations accessible using potentially YouTube videos or other kinds of videos um, to bring. Kids in and, and to bring uh, potentially in this conversation other community members in um, to make things accessible. Um, so we won't have a chance to expand on that, but I wanted to make sure that we mention that because um, you do just provide us with so many ways to be thinking about and thinking about our own school contexts. And, you know, we've all worked across different schools, so there's always going to be a different contexts in which. Um, these strategies will be, um, be that will be using these kinds of strategies. So um, yeah, the, I think that the using different mediums part is a really th- important um, contribution that, that you make. Um, but before we go, I just want to get you to tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on, anything that we should be looking out for or uh, anything you want to lead off, uh, end off with.
0: Great! Oh boy, um, relaxing is one of them. Self care, all of those things. Snuggling with my dog—I'm <laughs> uh, working on that a lot. Um, is self care. I think that's important for all of us. Um, this book was so important to me, and um, I just, uh, it's just—it's such a tribute to the amazing young people I've worked with. I get a little choked up when I think about it. That. Um, this was really about um, celebrating the amazing things that young people um, can do um, and and building really important relationships. I um I had a book release party in December and one of my first book club members, Sharon, showed up and she's in her 30s now with kids and married and she now has a book club. An, a national book club that she runs, um, and they meet once a month. She said they set it up the same. It's on Zoom. They get pizza. <laughs> they all read the same book, and then once a year, they all get together, like in the middle of the United States, so that they can see each other in person. And so I just, you know, I think like what a legacy, you know, to be able to do something um, that really. Uh, you know impact students so much that they are have integrated this into their to, into their futures so the book has been really powerful and, and humbling for sure right now I'm working on a, a couple of different projects uh, one is uh, I'm really um, uh, putting out an article just recently i have finished and submitted around um, the use of science fiction as a way to work on students um, uh social-emotional learning, their advocacy, their emotional literacies. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really digging deep into the work that I did in the Special Education Alternative Center um, in the Netherlands and and really focusing on those incredible youth. So I've got a couple of articles that I want to get out for them. Um, and I also, honestly, I have another book. Uh, I have another book in my back pocket. It will be my last one probably. <laughs> uh, but I have been... Um, teaching this expository writing course through a social justice lens for the last decade. And so I really want to replicate the work that I did around book clubs and talk about it through the medium of writing. So how can we use writing as a way for healing and social justice? And so I want to highlight the incredible voices of the young people who I've had the opportunity to work with and really talk about how we can bring um, criticality into our writing instruction, um, and how we can bring in identity and um, emotional literacies work as well. So very similar to the to the book now, but um, but this time really focusing on writing. So I'm pretty excited about that. I say this. I hope that you don't hold me accountable to it. <laughs> But I do, I do have plans of submitting that book proposal within the next year or so and, and, and exciting about the project. I mean, the great thing about writing a book is that um, you have so much more freedom than you do from traditional scholarly articles to do exactly what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, which is ground your work in intentionality and theory and make it accessible. Like that praxis is so important. You know, I was I talked to my high school students, to my grad students about this, that the theory gives us the language. And then we use that language to build pedagogical tools that really serve um, our students um, in, in not, you know, just emotional ways, but... You know, for our communities as well. How can we all work collectively to be agents of change? So, the the medium of a book is really freeing. <laughs> Using I telling your own stories, bringing that theory to life um, was really exciting for me, and I'm I'm um, I'm excited to um, dive deep into that to that genre
2: again. Wow, well, you're speaking my language, JD. Um so I was I was definitely going to at least partially hold you accountable that to that and 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 give you an open invitation to please, 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 please come back um and talk to me about the next book. Um that sounds really, really interesting. Um I want to firstly just just thank you for writing this book. Um I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is probably one of the most useful, um, you know, informative, transformative books that I've ever read as an educator. Um, you know, for me, as somebody who really, really loves books and would love more young people to love books, um, you know, this is just this is a tool that I can imagine myself returning back to, not just for the next few years but probably for the next few decades. So thank you so much for writing it. Um, thank you so much you know, for the labour that you poured into it and, and for all the work that you've done throughout your career. I just want to give you your flowers um, uh, because, honestly, it's just such a transformative book. So thank you so much for writing it.
0: Thank you so much very sweet. You're so kind. <laughs>
2: um, thank you uh, again for coming in to talk with me today, Jody. And, and we've been talking about facilitating youth-led book clubs as transformative and inclusive spaces published in 2022 by Teachers College Press. Um, it is available online from Teachers College Press, Press and other online sellers. I've been your host, Madan Gilhuli, and this has been the New Books Network in Education uh, on the New Books Network, and we hope you'll be joining us again uh, soon. Thank you.